I wasn't terribly surprised. I thought it made sense dramaturgically. Hello and welcome into another episode of Dramaturgically. I'm your host, Stephen Clark, and today, for the first time in a few episodes, it's just going to be me today, no guest, um, winding it back just a little bit, because um, today we're going to be talking about a film that's very special to me. Um, it's a film that I ritually sort of watch every single year. Um, I think that we all sort of have a Christmas film or a film that I guess signifies the holiday period or just a maybe just a film that we all feel quite nostalgic about and sort of watch um, at a certain period during the year. For some people, it's like a Halloween film. For other people, it's like a New Year's film or a Thanksgiving film if you're American. Um, but for me, it's always a Christmas film and <laughs> that film is the 1990 classic Home Alone. Eight-year-old Kevin McAllister makes the most of the situation after his family unwittingly leaves him behind when they go on Christmas vacation. But when a pair of bungling burglars set their sights on Kevin's house, the plucky kid stands ready to defend his territory. By planting booby traps galore, adorably mischievous Kevin stands his ground as a frantic mother attempts to race home before Christmas Day. Now, that's a pretty great summation of the film. I'm assuming most people who are listening to this podcast have probably seen Home Alone, as I think it's, I mean, it's it's got to be one of the most watched, beloved films um, of all time, let alone Christmas films of all time. Um, now, I know a lot of people have debates about what a Christmas film is. Is, uh, is Die Hard a Christmas film, um, or is it something more classic like The Grinch? Um, but for me, Home Alone is the quintessential Christmas film. It's about family, it's about holidays, it's about... Um, it's, it's about that sort of like childhood spirit. It captures the feeling of what it's like to, to have Christmas when you're young and have that special feeling be around it um, and just around the holidays in general. Um, and this is a film that's chocker full of imagination and creativity and comedy and fun. And for me, that's exactly the perfect ingredients for, in my opinion, like I said, the greatest Christmas film ever. So... Let's unpack why I like this film so much. Um, there's obviously a level of nostalgia um, with this and the sequel film, which I hope to talk about on the podcast uh, on a different day. Uh, I love them both for separate reasons. Um, but what I will say, I think with this film, it's the more complete film um, in a lot of ways, even if sometimes I find the second film maybe slightly more entertaining. Um, <laughs> the way I sort of like to compare it to the Aliens films where I guess like I, I think everyone sort of agrees that maybe Alien is the more competent put together thriller with maybe a bit more class and sort of classic filmmaking uh, attributes um, and, but the second film I think objectively a lot of people find a lot more fun and um, a lot more enjoyable and personally I actually like the second film better in the Aliens franchise um, but I think there's a lot of comparisons to be made about the first and second film the second film in the Home Alone series being a bit more trap orientated it moves a lot faster um it's a lot more of the film features uh the wet bandits obviously because they came quite famous and quite beloved after this film um but even though it does trade a lot of the same narrative steps as this as the first film um but what about the first film works so well so immediately from the get-go we set up that kevin is just like any other kid in a big family who is struggling for attention struggling to be understood to be seen and um i think this is something that a lot of people can 
really relate to. You know, Kevin, his parents are by no means, I mean, you can argue that they're quite incompetent. I think that that would be a very good argument to make. Um, but I think that generally speaking, you know, they're, they're caring, loving parents. They're, you know, they're clearly well off and they have a lot of kids and they're just trying to do their best. Um, but often parents in that sort of situation don't also see the truth of their kids' experiences or sometimes the children themselves don't feel seen in those environments. And that's perfectly portrayed through Kevin, who, you know, is sort of ritually bullied by his older siblings and is sort of doesn't get his fair share of anything. And um, it's very much like the youngest sibling syndrome. And it plays out really well here. And the performance from Macaulay Culkin throughout is so good. But particularly in this opening, you know, he really he really sells the quite helpless, lovable, relatable uh, sort of uh, youngest sibling that just can't seem to catch a break and his parents send him to his room um, the night of their big vacation and obviously the alarms go out the the power goes out and their alarm doesn't go off and the parents wake up rush around and through a few different hijinks including the most uh, ill-advised kid showing up um, at their van when they're packing <laughs> um, just ca- doing the kid count um, and then disappearing right after they do the count um, leads to Kevin being left titularly home alone. Um, now, what proceeds is a really good exploration of like, well, all these kids, you know, they often say things like, you know, I wish I didn't have my parents, wish I had my freedom. What would that actually look like? And um, it's really, really explored so well here through, you know, Kevin. He goes through the, the classic tropes of like, what would a kid do? You know, he'd eat fast food, he would watch. Uh, you know, the movies that his parents won't let him watch are M-rated movies. And and then also, you know, like things as simple as jumping on the bed or just sort of riding a sled down the steps and all that stuff's great. And, you know, I think that it's it's quite funny because, you know, I think that kids, they're it's quite incompetent, but it is quite simple as well. You know, like when the parents discover that Kevin's missing, they're obviously distraught and they're worried. And specifically, the mum is trying desperately to get home because um, she's so worried about uh, the Kevin situation. Um, you know, he might hurt himself, he might not know how to feed himself, you know, all these sorts of things. He might light the house on fire, who knows? Um, but what turns out to be Kevin's greatest danger is actually something that the parents could never have expected, which is uh, the Wet Bandits, um, expertly played by Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern, uh, who are planning on, who have cased the house and are planning on robbing the wealthy... McAllister family's home while they're away on holiday and what proceeds is obviously some hilarious hijinks where uh, Kevin uses uh, these sort of different tactics to scare them away Um, whether it be the recording the infamous recording of uh, angels with filthy souls that he reuses to scare away the pizza man and then later uh, Daniel Stern's Marv Um, and there's just some great stuff here just really creative writing and um and just filmmaking in general um, up to this point. And, but the film, the film does two things really well, particularly, which I, which I always think of at a filmmaking level, just excel this to beyond a, a guilty pleasure or just like a, a cult classic to an actually really intelligent, thoughtful and uh, impactful film. And that is the trope that Kevin goes through of mistakenly thinking that scary appearing people, uh, are scary and you know believing the rumors that they start about old man marley his next door neighbor who he believes to be a a serial killer um and the slow unraveling of like 
the the fear that Kevin seems to have for the world, whether it be his furnace downstairs, you know, in, in by living life on his own and uh, braving the world, he actually discovers, hey, wait, the world actually isn't as scary as I think it is. And that's a really great message for children. And I remember that impacting me as a child, watching that and thinking, oh, wow, uh, you know, Kevin's really putting himself out there and he's finding that the world actually isn't as scary as we all think it is. And the biggest version of that is driven home, obviously with the old man Marley scene where he goes to the church and finally he actually connects with old man Marley after being terrified of him throughout the film. He sits down at church next to the men and they begin to have a bit of a bit of a, a, a trauma dump session and uh, just have a great conversation. And watching this film again, it really stuck out just how well written that scene is. And the whole film is so well written by John Hughes, who is perhaps one of the great communicators of, of young people that have ever existed in film. I mean, the guy's films are absolute classics, but this is one of his lesser spoken about achievements in his personal filmography of work. Um, and that scene in the church is a personal highlight of mine where, you know, old man Marley talks about his estrangement from his son and Kevin McAllister, you know, talks about his fears of the world and, you know, uh, how he, how he has issues with his families as well. And it's really great just to see this old man and young man connect over similar issues um, and just make a genuine connection despite their ages, you know, despite the fact that they clearly don't, couldn't understand each other's circumstances that deeply. Um, just finding a simple way to communicate their issues and the solutions for those issues through dialogue that's believable from an eight-year-old and an 80-year-old. <laughs> and I think that's just a magnificent achievement. And it, that moment really is quite a heart-filled moment and it kicks us into the third act of this film which is the most iconic and memorable a lot of people i've spoken to specifically a friend of mine who i watched this film with um and i watched the both these films um this dimension at a at a watch party drinking game at my house um there was about seven or eight of us and we sat down and had some great roles and and it was really fun to watch this with a crowd of people so if you haven't ever done that i definitely recommend to do that but one of my friends said oh wow i really thought that the trap section of this film was longer and I said, no, it's actually, it's all restrained to about maybe 25 minutes of the film, maybe even less, 20 minutes. And um, it just goes to show how iconic <laughs> the trap scenes and the comedy, the physical comedy from Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern is because it's so memorable. Um, and obviously, as we know, Kevin sets off the traps for the house. He wants to catch the bandits, um, stop them from robbing his home. He wants to defend it. He wants to be the man of the house. And that's the, the final lesson that he's learned, you know, in from being home alone is that nobody else is around. He's going to have to do it himself. And this is a great uh, drive home of the theme. And we see that Kevin is completely, completely competent. And he, if anything, absolutely sends these two uh, poor robbers on a journey of absolute pain and destruction um, after comedy and comedy of, of, of different sort of traps, you know, whether it be Joe Pesci burning the M on his hand from the doorknob or Daniel Stern's physical performance as he slips and slides in the snow and then steps on that hilariously placed nail on the staircase. Um, and there's just so many great moments, but uh, the comedy of, of, of the actual trap scenes is so funny and so relevant. I mean, this had a house of people who, some people had seen the films many times, other people who hadn't seen the film, absolutely laughing in hysteria all together, still, uh, you know, 
almost 35 years after it was made. And uh, that's excellent direction from Christopher Columbus and it's excellent physical performance. I keep saying from Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci, like it really cannot be understated how much these guys drive those scenes. And um, as well as Macaulay Culkin's just charming nature as well. Um, one particular uh, moment that really, uh, <laughs> really just stood out as a particularly hilarious and like long lasting moment was when obviously Daniel Stern has the tarantula put on his face uh, and Marv just lets out this all time scream, which uh, to which one of my friends said, they should replace this scream with the Wilhelm scream, <laughs> replace the Wilhelm scream with this scream in every film. And um, I have to agree because it's an all timer scream. If you haven't heard it in a while, go back and listen to it. It is so funny. Um, and obviously the film ends uh, and the wet bandits are captured and uh, Kevin's family returns and he's reunited and we, we end with this really nice moment where Kevin looks out the window and sees that old man Marley has reunited with his children as well, with his son and his granddaughter and he's, he waves and has this quiet moment with Kevin waving and smiling out the window as well to see that he has had an impact on the world and it's really great to see, to see this because it we've seen Kevin grow in so many ways in such a short space of time in such a believable way as well, despite the wacky sort of premise of this film, everything feels quite natural and, and the themes at least hit home is quite realistic. Um, and that's what I love about this film. And it's so fun to watch. Um, there's so many great moments, great dialogue lines. I mean, like one of the all time great ones I love was when Marv and Harry finally meet in the house after they've gone through a few traps and they're looking horrible and, Joe Pesci looks at <laughs> Daniel Stern and he says, why'd you take your shoes off? And Daniel Stern just looks back at Joe Pesci and goes, why are you dressed like a chicken? <laughs> it's just, it's just hilarious. It's just so well-timed, so well thought out. And um, you can just tell that everyone that made this film had such a great time filming it. And um, for it to still stand up so highly for quite a simple comedy made in 1990, I absolutely love it. And you can see why, you know, John Hughes was an absolute... Uh, God at these types of films, um, talking about youth and sort of their place in the world and why Christopher Columbus, um, you know, went on to obviously have such a strong hand in the Harry Potter universe as well. Um, <clears throat> so you have to give credit to everyone involved. Um, you know, obviously the life of Macaulay Culkin is a whole another thing to talk about. Um, I think that it's a shame that Daniel Stern never really went on to, to do too much after this because I think he's so great in these films. And um, one last little fact I think is worth mentioning is that Joe Pesci uh, shot this film and Goodfellas all in a three-month span, which, talk about, like, character whiplash. I mean, like, it's... And, like, I guess, like, filming whiplash as well. It's quite funny um, to consider that. But thanks, thanks in for joining, guys. I mean, I just wanted to do a quick one to share my thoughts on Home Alone. Let me know what you think about it. Is it something for you that feels special and nostalgic? Do you love this film? Um, are you more critical of it? Does it not land for you? Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts in the comment section of my letterbox. Um, just look me up at Stephen Clark. And um, yeah, guys, uh, that's going to be it for now. Um, but yeah, look forward to talking about a lot more films coming up. I mean, I've seen uh, a couple of really great films recently. The Boy and the Heron, I'd love to talk about. I'm planning on seeing The Holdovers soon as well. So keep an eye out for that one. And coming up at the end of the month, I'm planning on doing a top 10 uh, films of 2023. So I'm really excited for that one. Um, I think I think it's been an interesting year for film. And I think that uh, a lot of people's orders, um, it's going to be really interesting to dissect because I think that there's a general consensus maybe about the 10, but maybe quite a lot of debate about the placement of the 10. So really excited to hear what everyone else has to say about my thoughts on that. 
and um and i would love to hear other people's opinions on their favorite films of the year as well so thank you so much for joining again guys i'm gonna cut it off here and until next time have a great day